Are you in need of personal training after a couple of years of lockdowns? Are you an athlete ready to take that next step in your high performance career? Or are you in the market for an injury prevention, prehab and rehab expert? Well, Piota Health and Performance has you covered. About you, for you, with you. Piota Health and Performance is your Melbourne-based personal training and high performance company. Servicing the Western, Eastern and Northern suburbs, Piota Health and Performance is NDIS registered, university degree qualified and ready to take you on your journey to a better you. Contact Dan and the team to commence your health and performance journey with Piota today. Go to their Instagram at underscore Piota, that's at underscore P-I-O-D-A, or email them at trainme at piota.com.au, or you can call Dan on 0402-978-275. That's 0402-978-275. Piota Health and Performance, about you, for you, with you. Ready I'm, to go. Be, I'm genuinely going to be eating pasta as we go. I'm fucking starving. I haven't had time. Yeah, yeah. What sort of pasta? Is that rigatoni? It's called Ecoli Dali. Oh, yeah. It's like smaller. Yeah. It's like a smaller version of rigatoni. It's actually unbelievable. But Gab made, Gab made a chicken yes. cacciatore last week, and she had heaps of leftovers, like once we were done with the rice. Yeah. So I just, she goes, what do we do with this? And I looked at her and went, are you serious? Just put a pot of pasta on. We'll have that for the next week. She goes, I don't want pasta with it. I said, then you don't have to have it. Welcome, everyone. You are listening to the Almost Blues Brothers podcast, episode number 65, part of the Blue Broad Podcast Network, and brought to you by Piota Health and Performance. Win, loss, win, loss, win, loss, win, loss, win number 12 for 2022 season after a clinical performance against the Giants in round 19. I think for the first time in over a decade as a Carlton supporter, we can all finally say with a fair bit of confidence that our September holidays this year, they're going to be taking place at the MCG with finals footy, man. I'm Joe, here today to dissect all the round 19 action from the Carlton Football Club. And preview the upcoming clash with the Crows. I'm with my two co-hosts today. Jules, Reese. how are we, boys? Good. Feeling good. Bit of a dampener in the final game of the weekend, but we don't need to talk about that. Got a good win. We'll talk about it. <laughs> I'm fatigued. Fatigued? You've had fatigued. a big night, haven't you, Jules? Mate, I've had, one. I've had one. And it's only Monday. Jules has been on, on a mission on a Monday night. To but but you've got to do what you got to do. And um, the boys got it done on the weekend, didn't they? They did. They did. They did. Are we gonna Are we gonna mention the uh, ASMR that we've got as well, Joe, with, with the food that's being eaten right now? Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna make sure I take bites in between. So whenever you whenever you two boys take <laughs> over in the review, the thing is Nick Kios. You could just have you know a bit of bite, a bit of a bite um, during a press conference now. Huh? At the end of the day, at the end of the day, when you're in demand, like I'm in demand these days. You gotta just find little thirty-second snippets to eat food at times. Like, <laughs> like you started a new role. You, you started a new role, and you haven't even like done anything the past two weeks. And you're telling me you got no time. Work it out. As always, just want, we'll move on from this. Just want to thank the listeners. <laughs> this is just rubbish. <laughs> just absolute rubbish. Just want to thank the listeners. Uh, 
for, for tuning back in. If you're a new listener, welcome. If you're an OG, welcome back. If you haven't already, go follow us on Instagram at Almost Blues Brothers. You can use the link tree in our bio for all of your Almost Blues Brothers needs, links to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, as well as all of our other social platforms and our email if you do want to get into contact with us. Also, and I can't stress this enough, as I do every week, if you haven't already, hit that five stars on whatever platform you're listening on. The three stars and the four stars, they're broken on Spotify. I've been told you can only hit five stars. So hit hit five stars on Spotify, Apple, or whatever you're listening on. It does help the podcast out immensely. Um, and while you're there, hit that bell icon and subscribe to the podcast so you get those auto updates when episodes drop on a Tuesday morning at 6 a.m. Now, we alluded to it off the top. We had a great weekend. Everyone had a great weekend. As happy as we were about the Carlton win, I just want to acknowledge one thing. I just want to acknowledge how much this Pies run is pissing me right off. I was devastated when they got up. They've fallen ass backwards into another one. And they're carrying on like they're a genuine – like they're sitting – they've got 106%. I can't even get my words together. It's absolutely mind-bending that they've gotten themselves into this position. When do you think it was the last time a team was sitting inside the top four at this stage of the season with 106%? Never, ever. Never, ever. They've won like the last seven games. I mean, mean, you've got to give it to them, right? They're winning when they're winning. Like, but they've – I just hate to carry on that people aren't admitting that this is luck. Yeah, luck. maybe they're just getting that getting the wins out of the way now, and then once September rolls around, then they'll just be out in straight sets. So and here's the, the run, about, right? The talk about here's, here's, uh, here's the run. Here's their run of wins. When it was since they beat us, okay, round eleven, they beat us by four points. They beat Hawthorne the week later by four points. Fell over the line. Three weeks later, they beat uh, the Giants by eleven points. The week after that, they beat the Suns by five points after being down by three goals with like five minutes left, whatever it was. The week after that, they beat North Melbourne by seven points after being down by five goals, almost, heading into the last quarter. Then they beat the Crows the week after that by five points. And then this week against the Dons, after being 40 points up, then falling behind by three goals and 20 points in the last five or six minutes of the game, they win after the zone. Like... Fair credit to him for getting it done week in, week out. But my God, man, that luck's got to run out. That is just ridiculous. Yeah. That's the thing that, that does my head in. Like, you got credit where credit's due. They're winning the games, right? But it's got to be realistic. Like, that's luck. And they talk about training for the situation. Training for what situation? Getting pinged, holding the ball, and the opposition hitting the post and not setting up for the kick in. Stop <laughs> <laughs> yeah. training for that. Yeah. Pure yeah. luck. It's not, it's, it's not even the player. It's not even that, man. The player could have actually just kicked it, you know sideways and wasted another 30 seconds for another another set shot and that would have been the game so Crazy. yeah yeah but whatever we got we got across the line in a couple of lucky ones but i don't know it's i'm, I'm getting real sick of watching it doesn't matter we've got him in all i'm looking at is four weeks time when we've got him in round 23 and we're just going to show them exactly where they're at and i promise yeah, you well, that. I mean, we are going to show them exactly where they're at i really hope we do because i know if i can handle it if we don't <laughs> No, I don't think I could too, to be honest. Anyway, I'm, I'm, not a, yeah. it's, it's not a Collingwood podcast. We hate him. It had to be. It just had to be mentioned because if there is a Collingwood supporter that listens into this to try and get a bit of a rise out of our trials and tribulations for that one Collingwood fan that might tune in to listening to us week in, week out, fuck off. That's basically what we're saying. 
Now we're we'll getting to business. We listen, for an actual... Now, huh? We want their listen, bloke. We take any listens that listeners as we, can get, as we can get, man. How's this? If you're an Essendon supporter or a Collingwood supporter that, that tunes in, I don't want you listen. I don't want it. Go listen to one of, one of your other podcasts that, that your own team. Anyway, like I said, we're moving on because we, we actually, on this podcast, we talk about a, a, a genuine football club that plays football without luck, without injury luck, without things that go their way throughout the season. They still get it done week in, week out, and we got it done against the Giants. So this is how it's going to work today, boys. Review of round 19. There's Blues cues in the middle and then a preview against the Crows. That's it, man. When I listen and I hear Blues cues, I actually get tingles, Joe, now. Hey, it's a good one this week. Well, hey, Fuck, no, I'm not joking, man. I actually look forward to it every single week. The, the responses that we get the responses we get on Instagram in the lead-up to Blues cues in the next episode has doubled each week for the last three weeks. So we're going to try and get through as many as possible. But before we get there, we've got a little bit to talk about with the GWS game. And boys, without any further ado... Let's get into it. What a, at the end of the day, this is where we sit. The Carlton Football Club in 2022. This is where they sit. They sit with 12 wins on the season after 18 rounds on 48 points in seventh spot. But two games clear of basically dropping out of the eight. I'd almost say finals foot is guaranteed at this point unless we absolutely capitulate in this last four weeks. We, we basically need one more win and, and we're there. How – I just want to – before we get into the actual JWS preview, because you can hear the confidence in my voice in terms of where we're going in the next month, how are you boys feeling after what you've seen in the last couple of months with the win-loss, win-loss alternating record? Uh, I can't relax until I see the win this weekend. And that's probably the game I'm most nervous about um, for the rest of the season, I reckon. I, I think at the moment we're probably like 90% chance of, of making finals and there's not much more we need to do to cement that spot. But I think you, if you drop this week, you have to take a pretty big scalp or you know you just have to beat Collingwood. But um, now I'm, I'm reserving that, uh, that feeling until after, after we knock over the Crows. Yeah, for me, I'm... Pretty similar, to be honest, um, in the same boat as Reese. just purely based on, um, yeah, my nervousness going towards this game. I feel like as if, in terms of performance-wise, if there's a game that we're not going to perform over the next four weeks, it's this one, um, away against Adelaide and obviously, um, you know, um, having difficulties there in the past and whatnot. Um, you know, I know only a couple of years ago we lost against them as well. I think it was in the, one of the last games of the season and really capitulated there. Um, that was a little bit of a hammering, a little bit of surprise as well and a shock. So, But going into the last four rounds in terms of where we're at, um, I'm content, boys. I think I tipped around 14 wins at the start of the season. Um, I think most of us did, to be honest. I think I think Joe, you did 13 and me and Pov no. 14 or what was All it? All three of us. All three of us had fourteen. Three of us fourteen, yeah. Well, there you go. So I think we're there about and actually where we where we you know sort of thought where we're going to be. It's just you know now whether we can just get the next couple of wins and then really um, hopefully we bank him in the next couple of weeks and then the last couple of games we'll have a bit of a fun and um, hopefully ride right into September. Well, could be Collingwood back to back 
weeks in round 23 into week one of finals at, at this Which rate. So that'd be, that's awesome. that'd be massive. Oh, that'd be that huge. It'd just, just be massive. It'd be massive. But Melbourne before we get there, we'd be rocking. Before we get there, we had our, our 12th win on the weekend, like we said. Final scores Carlton 13, 11, 90 to Greater Western Sydney, 8, 6, 54, 36 point margin to the Blues. The Greater Western Sydney, the goal kickers were Briggs, Weir, and Riccardi with one each. Cornelio kicked two, Toby Green kicked three. And for the Blues, Honey, Durden, Setterfield, Silvani, Cripps with one each, Mackay and Cottrell with two each, and Charlie Kerno with another four to add to his Coleman medal tally. No injuries for the Blues this week, although it looked a little bit dicey, uh, and we will get to the superstar that is Sammy Walsh, but my God, that was heart and mouth sort of stuff in that third quarter. Yeah. I thought it, it literally went from... And we'll get, after we get the overall thoughts on the game, we'll get back into this. But for me in that moment, that was season over for Walsh, Cinder's Moses, to another three votes, S. Walsh come brown that night, pretty much, in, in the space of five minutes. I don't know what he that game on, He literally came on in about a minute. He had like four touches. Ridiculous. Yeah. Ridiculous. Okay. Like, before we get there, boys, I was sort of saying to, to Reese because Reese didn't go on the weekend. Jules, you and I went, but... And I, I want to get your thoughts on it, but I'll say to Reese, it was a bit of a weird atmosphere at the stadium, and you could like genuinely hear a pin drop for GWS whenever they had momentum or kicked a goal. Yeah, um, I feel like as if even against Geelong, a sort of similar sort of vibes there. I know Geelong's supporters at the best of times aren't really, um, you know, into the game emotionally. Um, don't know what I'm actually concerned for them to be honest with you. Yeah, um, but but um. Because it's true, man. I was actually speaking about it today with a colleague, and I said I was at the Geelong game, and then, and then obviously the GWS, and it was similar sort of vibes, to be honest. Um, so yeah, I look, you know, it's disappointing, but I guess that says more about them as a club than us um, at this giving, you know, at this point in time. It's funny that you mentioned it, Joe, um, when we were chatting before, because I actually had a, a friend of mine um, shout out to Barksy if he's listening. I know he does tune in. Uh, he mentioned to me during the second quarter that uh, literally unprompted, the atmosphere here is real weird. <laughs> like it's apparently it was just super flat. It was. And like it was flat as a supporter. So, uh, and I wanted to touch on it because, and you'll, you'll probably get this, Jules, from your, your days of playing soccer. But when, when there's no atmosphere around you, it's very hard to get yourself going as a group on the field. Um, I, I feel, especially at that elite level. And it's a credit to the boys to find what they found when GWS genuinely gave us, I wouldn't say a scare, but gave us everything they had in that first half. And they found that extra gear, regardless of what the atmosphere was like in, in the stadium at the time, which was pretty flat at times, to be fair. Yeah, I feel, yeah, as a professional football club, I feel like as if you need to bring it, whether it's an atmosphere or not, you know, you got a job and you got a, you know, a role to play within the teams. Um, obviously, within the team's some um, structures. And, um, yeah, it's really important to get the job done at the end of the day. Um, yeah, fair play. But, you know, like I said, that, it's, it's, it's their role. Has that, not been, has that not been a criticism, though, at times with, with our group, is that they feed off, like, we're, we're a bit of a momentum team. We feed off a bit of energy from the crowd and we feed off energy from each other and, and use that to sort of get us going. I feel like that was the first time that we played in that sort of an atmosphere outside of the empty stadiums, of course, through through COVID. But I don't know. There's always been, I feel, talk that these boys need a bit of a lift from from elsewhere at times. I, I feel like um, the Eagles game had a bit of that about it. 
I feel like being over there, we weren't necessarily playing to. Um, I know there's a lot of there's a lot of strong representation for Carlton supporters in WA, but I think they had a fairly strong second quarter, and we were able to come out and just kind of quieten them down a little bit and, and carry on with the job and end up winning by ten goals, which is gets kind of how the game unfolded on Sunday. Really, when you think about it, it was, it's quite similar in the in the way that the game was a little bit of an arm wrestle when perhaps it shouldn't have been, and then when the uh, when the going got tough, we just proved to be a little bit too strong, which is positive. Yeah, and you can also go the crossover in terms of games as well. How you know, you know, there might be one games where one game where we're actually trying to we're copying a lot of um, inside fifties, and then you know, um, the next game after that we sort of rectify it, or you know, even you can even see it in terms of our games at the moment where we're winning one, losing one, winning one, losing one, winning one, losing one at the moment um, over the last six or so weeks as well. So it just goes to show that the boys are learning, but it's just the consistency factor there as well. Um, and obviously Voss has talked about it, you know, over a long period of time over the course of the season. So, you know, hopefully we can get it semi right um, by, you know, by the start of September. I mean, look, yeah, I, I still thought it was a pretty clinical performance, to be honest. And I know, I know the first half was a little bit dicey, and we, we came out of the blocks pretty slow. I watched the replay and Fox Footy's pressure rating. As much as you want to look into that with legitimacy or not. Uh, they were saying that our pressure factor was about 159 to start the game, which is quite low. It's well below not just our average, but the AFL average for the season. I think it's about 180 odd, and you could see it at the ground. You, you could you could feel it. You could see it. Um, we, were, we were caught. We were sort of one step off, two steps off at time. It was a very open game, and it took us it, it took us right up until I reckon 10 minutes into the second quarter where we started to really get our mojo. Um, and from there, even though GWS kicked back to halftime, it didn't really look like that they were going to ever get us, to be fair. Um, and it didn't yeah. – I don't know about you, George, but at, at the ground it didn't really feel that way either. I was, I was never really stressed with this one. Yeah, I, look, I obviously was, wasn't really stressed, but you still have that, you know, um, you know, thoughts, negative thoughts at the back of your mind that, you know, Tom um, – sorry, Green, um, you know, could pop, pop up any time, you know, which he did, he kicked three or four goals there, so – you know, they still have that bit of talent um, in and around their list that, you know, could do something. So, you know, you sort of want to put them to bed. Like, fortunately enough, we did. Um, I was just hoping it was sooner. Mm. I think it was, one of the, it was one of those weird games where there wasn't really any lessons learned, I don't reckon. Kind of had the job to do, did the job, didn't really learn anything about ourselves or the opposition. It played out pretty much how most people would have thought. We ended up winning by five goals. Probably could have won by seven or eight if we really sort of put them to the sword at the end, but we didn't. And that that's all you can really take from it. You move on to next week, I reckon. Well, you say you say there was nothing to learn. The, the one thing I want to touch on is after watching the replay especially, that second half dominance for me came off the back of some pretty slick ball movement in the end, especially through Saad, who we'll, t- we'll touch on in a minute, who had one of – you you said it yourself, Reese. That was almost a perfect game from a half-back flanker. But um, – a lot of our scoring opportunities really came from opening up that corridor rather than clearance work. And we got done in the clearances again. And this is, this is a pattern over the last couple of months. And we've touched on it most weeks to be fair. Um, You know, we, we, we started the season by priding ourselves on being a really contested football side. But when you look at our 412 disposals or 400 and whatever it is, contested, uh, uh, sorry, uh, possession count, we had 280 uncontested to 139 contested. Now, and we lost the clearance count 
sorry, overall 38 to 33, hitouts 48 to 19 in favor of GWS, including center clearances 12 to 8 again for two weeks straight. But we got done in the center clearances. Now, I'll learn two things out of this that I want to your thoughts. First one is that we have been able to very quickly in the span of about 16 weeks in, in this season uh, unlock another avenue of scoring, especially in, especially since, and this is where it leads into my second second point, especially since Mark Pitnett went down. Second point, Mark Pitnett comes back in next week, wins us those clearances, hitouts, and those contested numbers again. And all of a sudden, we're not just the side that came out against Richmond in round one and looked to belt teams and in round two and round three, we would just beat teams up around contests and score from stoppage. That comes back, but we've got this second bow now that we can lean on in our transition game and our uncontested game to actually generate scoring opportunities as well. So for me, like you said, there wasn't too much that we learned. If I look at it from that perspective, Reese, for me, they're the two things that stood out massively from this game to go get Pino back in next week. And this could be a completely different football side. Again, it could be phase three that we're looking at across the season. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Oh, you go, Jules. Nah. I, was, I was just going to say, I'm glad you brought up Pito because that's what I was thinking when you were mentioning that, is that I think it was almost by way of necessity that we kind of evolved our game plan into being more uncontested, um, super high disposal, high kick, high mark sort of game style. But, I mean, you've just seen the way that Pito's come back into the twos. I think he had nine clearances last week, and I'm not sure on his numbers this week, but he's a, he's a super high clearance player, and his follow-up work in the centre clearance especially, I think, can't really be understated. So depending on what sort of um, rough combo, we might see a complete reversal on our game style again, or we might see a combination of both, which I think is pretty exciting. If we could, I know, harness, harness the best of both worlds, it would be pretty cool to see, I reckon. Yeah, for me again, um, yeah, I'm thinking likewise, Reese. But I'm also thinking about you know the broader thing. Obviously, with TDK, you know, do obviously do give him a rest. I know you mentioned it, um, you know, today um, or yesterday in the chat um, that we do have. But you know, even more around the ground aerially, if we do have Pinna and TDK in terms of you know trying to move the ball um, around the perimeter. Um, which we did early on in the season, that's even going to be an advantage there. Um, you know, poten potentially leaving Harry and Charlie deeper inside forward 50, and that's going to be scary for, obviously, opposition defences. Um, you know, so I think it's another thing that, you know, we sort of haven't really touched on as well, um, where TDK can sort of be, you know, in between the arcs. Um, and then another thing I want to touch on too is obviously Gov as well. I, I know I was pointing it out to Joe um, um, at, the, at the actual game where we we're actually trying to go around and switch the play. Um, and we actually did it more efficiently as well. Obviously with Gov and his foot skills and then obviously Weedering now back in the team over the last three, four weeks and him starting to hit up targets. Obviously Saad, on the, Saad as well. We're starting to get players with better foot skills again um, in the team. So that's another thing that we're going to be able to do um, you know, over the next four weeks as well. Yeah, well, for sure. Oh, I, I was just going to say, Joe, I think what, what you're saying is spot on. Um, Jules, where we've got guys coming back in that aren't necessarily known as A-graders, but they're doing the little things that 5-10% better than the blokes we've got at the moment. So you get Gov in there, who we know is a pretty good kick. It just completely changes the, the whole shape of the defensive system. Just on McGovern, and then there was, a, there was another inclusion I want to talk, out, talk about after this, but just on McGovern, uh, he's intercept marking, and you touched on this last week, Jules. It's going to be so important for just a number of reasons. Like, I think he took three or four across the game where he just sort of floated in, 
<clears throat> Wietering and, and Young had their one-on-ones and, and McGovern was able to float in and, and take a pretty regulation intercept, uncontested mark. That's only going to become more and more important as, as the season rolls on into finals. Um, but to your point, Jules, and it, it sort of wraps up this, this whole idea that we've been able to unlock another, you know, avenue of scoring in our rebound 50s and in our transition. When you've got players like McGovern that can move the football and, and that can hit that 45 pretty confidently because their foot skills are so elite, it's only going to it's only going to mean that we just become more effective and, and just better in that area of the ground going forward. And it's something that we've already developed. So it is. It's very exciting. The other player I do want to touch on that came in that I raised my eyebrows at last week. I won't, I won't lie. I'll put my hand up. He had 40 touches in the VFL. So fair enough. When you have 40 touches, you earn your spot. He had one tackle, and that was the thing for me that sort of was – it stood out. But when you come in on a wing spot, and Will Setterfield played as well as he did in that wing – area with 24 disposals. I think he had eight marks across the game as well um, and kicked a goal. Does he hold his spot, boys? Is that is that something that we can see Setterfield holding down that wing spot now throughout, you know, the rest of the season? Yeah. Because for me, he played he played brilliantly. Yeah, I thought the exact same thing. I, I think he almost uh, – he's forced the hand of the coaches to, to leave him in. You can't really drop a guy when he comes in and has 24 and, you know, could have been two goals quite easily. Ended up kicking just the one, I believe. But – um, that output from a wingman, if if you're going to drop out either of him and or Lob, I mean the numbers kind of speak for themselves, right? I, I personally don't think both of them. I'm sorry, I don't think either of them deserve to be dropped on what they show. But um, yeah, no, I think he's definitely earned his spot next week. Yeah, for me, it's hard to argue. You can't you can't drop him. Um, I think the three predominant wingers that we do have. Um, and the squad going with Loeb, Cottrell and Setters. I think going forward in terms of the combination that they do offer, um, you know, I feel like as if Lob um, with his um, foot skills and then Cottrell with his work rate and tenacity and just his, eff- his effort um, around the contest as well when he does get involved. Um, and as well as Setters with his bit more height, um, you know, and his contested work, he's able to be a bit of flexibility there. I think the combination works quite well. Um, and I think going into the next four weeks, I feel like as if there's not going to be much change there. I think it's fair. I think it's fair. And like you said, it's it'd be hard to drop him after that sort of a performance. Um, seemed, seemed to fit in seamlessly. And he played that, you know, that gave him that outlet kick on that wing, took eight marks, like we said, on marks as well, just by the way. I didn't realise this until today. We had four players that had 10-plus marks on the weekend and Wiedering had nine. So that would have been five if you had one more. Like, that is – that's insane. Mm. They are huge well, numbers for, for each side. Name, I think they, we had nearly 40 more marks than them or something, didn't we? 30-odd more marks? Yep. Just keep things off, really, isn't I think it? 40. And this is, this is also what we touched on last week, Jules. I don't know if you remember having the discussion, but Geelong kept us to, like, 80 marks or something last week. And I, I can say with – supreme confidence without looking through every game this year. I reckon when we take 95 to 100 marks or more a game, we win the majority of our matches. And if, if sides stop the ability to get our kick mark game going, we make it really hard for ourselves to score. And, you know, the kick-to-handball yeah. ratio this week was was a lot better, 245 kicks and 171 handballs. We, we got that part of our game going again, and we just look so dangerous being able to, yeah. you know, pick apart Giants slowly, yeah. slowly with that, that little kick mark game. We're able to control the game. That's that's simple as that. We're able to control the game in both, obviously, offensive and defensively. If you've got the ball, the opposition can't attack. It's that simple. 
Um, so it sort of protects us defensively as well. Um, and going, you know, and obviously with the likes of Gov and whatnot, of course you're going to take, you know, if, of course you're going to take more marks if, you know, of, in, if you with ball in hand if you've got better kicks. So, you know, there's it's just it's simple really in terms of that mathematical equation. One thing it sort of says to me though is that um, we're kind of, I don't know if we're playing a little bit of a one-dimensional style of footy because when you go against the better teams like we did against Geelong, they sort of completely nullified that and we didn't really have a way around it. Which is, I mean, it, it kind of speaks to what you were saying before, Joe, about the um, the way that we're not impacting at the clearance and centre clearance like we were at the start of the season and whether that changes. Because I think going into finals and, and getting into the sort of narrow part of the season where you, you know, you're coming up against really good defensive teams every single week, it's going to be more important that we have two or three viable pathways to goal. And the kick mark is really effective when it works, but when it doesn't and you haven't got anything to fall back on, you can be made to look quite silly. So it'll be interesting to see what happens when Pudo comes back in. And um, a bit of well, that, that's that list. That's where I just reflect on the early part of the season where, sure, we were criticised for not being able to score in transition. But if we've got, like I said, if we've got that under our belt now, and then, like you said, if we come up against a defensive juggernaut like Melbourne, for instance, if they're, if they're on and we can't get through their zone, the ultimate clearances, try and beat them at their own game and, and open up that scoring avenue. Because at least with Geelong last, like, I know this is supposed to be about the GWS game, but if with Geelong last week, if Pitto was in, and I swear he's going to make such a difference. He had 33 hitouts and four clearances this week, just by the way, in the in the VFL. Mm. But and that, I think that was through two and a half quarters or three quarters or something like that. So against Geelong, if we had that ability to just beat them up, because they were beating us up all game at the stoppage, we'd be able to put that scoreboard pressure on to then open them up. The fact that we couldn't open them up because all they needed to really do was defend and and, and counter, you, you become so one-dimensional. It, mm. It's going to be so – and I'll talk – I know we're talking about Pitta a lot and we're talking about clearances a lot, but it leads into another sort of area of discussion for this week that I spoke to you boys about today. Paddy Cripps has sacrificed his game for the last three months, call it, three and a half months, essentially. He's been playing in the ruck. He's been a decoy – up forward, he's like just a complete different player to the player that was getting praised at the start of the season for having one of the best six-week blocks that I've ever seen from a player. Bring Mark Pitnett back in, and, a, and and this bloke, Cripps, that has 34 touches, has three scoring shots, four tackles, five clearances. Like, he can only get better, surely, and he can only get back to that form that we saw at the start of the year, and that's what we're going to need in the next four weeks, for him to get on a serious run going into finals and go – Get on my back, boys. Like we're gonna make a run at this, like a proper run. We're not here to just we're not here to just make up numbers. Yeah, look, I have no doubt that he's gonna, you know, put Crips on another level. But um, you know, it's gonna be interesting to see what happens. But the the capacity is there. Um, you know, we've seen it obviously in a you know a, a little patch at the start of the season. Um, and obviously with the numbers that Pito's done over the last couple of weeks, um, I don't know whether he's got enough game time. I think he's only played probably two and a half, three quarters, both games, something like that. I'm not too sure how much he did get through on the weekend. Um, but yeah, like we said, it just offers another element. And obviously TDK, he's worn the brunt of it over the last, what, 12 or so weeks as well. So, you know, mm-hmm. I feel like as if it's going to be a bit more of a rest on him, a little bit more of a, you know, lesser workload. Um, you know, but not even likes of Crips, you know, Hewitt, Chera. Walsh, they're all going to reap the rewards from it too. For sure. I think beyond beyond beating Adelaide and Collingwood, which I think are sort of non-negotiables for us, the best thing you can hope for is continuity for the last month going into finals is, is 
ha- having McGovern and having Pitonet and, you know, potentially even Marchbank and some other guys just getting a solid month of playing together in the same team again, um, which is why I think it's super important that Pitonet, he just, I feel like he just has to play this week because we've got Gov back and now you just need to add, you know, just pretty much the last piece of the puzzle and just let him have at it for a month. Fingers crossed, no injuries, and then that we'll, we'll get a pretty good indicator of where we're actually at come finals time. Agree, agree. Um, I'm just looking at <clears throat> run through the stat sheet here, and the, our midfield is dominated again, which was good to see. You got Cripps, Chera, Kennedy, and one other name that led our disposals, and we'll talk about him now. Sammy Walsh, man, this kid is something different. He does his ankle, gets helped off the ground. Down in the rooms, comes back up to an enormous. I haven't heard a roar like that for a goal, let alone a player coming back onto the pitch throughout that game. And the first three uh, contests that he attends after doing his ankle, he was a fucking animal, like genuine contested animal to do whatever he could to get that ball in our hands. I want some of whatever they gave him. In the room, <laughs> I, I want to know what was in there. That was it was unbelievable on the TV. It was like you, it, the impact was literally instant, and like not impact as in like throwing your body around like some you know danger field or something does. Like getting the ball cleanly, absorbing three, four tackles. The the hand pass, I think it was to Setterfield or maybe Newman on the wing, was ridiculous. It was this lateral hand pass that came off the back of his fist. I don't even know how he saw him, let alone got the ball to him. He's the kid's a freak, and you, I just hope that you know it doesn't come out this week that he's actually done anything bad to the ankle. But my God, he's he's a freak, isn't he? We've said it on the podcast that many times, but you run out of work. Uh, he's, uh, he's inhumane, man. He's um well in a in a good way, I'd say. He's immortal. That kid, man. He's 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 crazy, man. With the stuff he can do. Obviously, we've mentioned it a lot for over the last couple of years on the pod. Um, but you know, touch wood, he's you know. He has a clean bill of health going in towards finals. And then hopefully, you know, the thing is as well, we haven't seen these players playing finals. So, you know, you sort of see them on the big stage and see what they're all about, whether they're going to be able to make the contest and make it, you know, their own. Um, so, yeah, we'll see. I'm actually looking forward to it, boys, because I think that we've got a few players that are actually going to, you know, give it a little bit of a shake, to be honest. Yeah, I think I think the most obvious one to me is, and I'm sure we'll talk about it a little bit more. But in terms of big big game players, I reckon Charlie loves it. I reckon he loves Mate, it. Some of the some of the marks he was taking. I know Saad obviously took a ripper, but some of the the way like the way in which Charlie was just throwing himself at the contest, um, like into the packs, was insane on the weekend. You just know now he's like full of confidence. Injury is just far behind him, and he's just going for it now. They said it on they said it on the broadcast a couple of weeks ago when we beat uh it was the win before the Eagles, whoever that was. Um, I think it was Frio in the Frio game when he yeah. had a he had a bit of a game. Every time the ball goes near him, there's just a different energy from the crowd. Like we just we get so hyped with Charlie just for him to be near the and it, it it's for good reasons. It's not just this isn't just because of potential now and that like we like it's just us getting excited about this young kid that's up and coming. He's leading the Colin Medal, 57 goals for the year, he's five in front of Jeremy Cameron. He's come back off two like basically two and a half years of knee surgeries and reconstructions and whatnot. And he's as good a player, if not better, than what he showed pre-injury. Like this is 
generational shit that we're watching with Charlie Kuno. It is, it's, it's crazy, crazy, crazy stuff. What he's, what he's able to do. It's, it's nuts. I'm not taking it for granted whatsoever. I, I'm, I'm not looking at Charlie as anything but a player. Clean bill of health, touch wood from here for the majority. But a player that when he retires, we will tell our kids about like we hear about Wayne Carey, like we hear about you know those types of players. Maybe not the Gary Ablett or the Tony Lockett's, but those generational types that just knew how to break a game open and just put their team on their back. Well, how many how many times have you seen it this season alone? And I feel like that this is really the only sample we've got. He he had done it you know three four years ago when he was playing, but he was just a kid. He was like what twenty two, and now that he's actually sort of grown to the stature of someone who's 24, 25, had a bunch of pre-seasons, albeit a little bit interrupted. He, I feel like he does it every second week now. He did it on the weekend where the game was a bit flat and he just goes, all right, well, time for me to pop up and kick two and take some ridiculous marks and send half forward and then we're on our way. Like, <laughs> he's a freak. He's got, that, he's got that switch that some players have. And I think I, the he's good just thing smart, is... But he's also like, just smart. Like, for a key forward to stay down at the back of the pack like he did as well for his... I think it was his second goal or his first goal in the first quarter... You don't see key forwards with those smarts to be able to read the play and go, I don't need to go up here. Jack and Harry, they're both going up. I can stay at the back of the pack here and get a, get a little cheap one. Sure, like you can call it what you want, but at the end of the day, it's smart to me that we've got a player like that that's not just so one-dimensional as a key forward. Harry, at times, he can be a bit one-dimensional. He's a, he's a beast, right? He, he took 10 marks himself, and I, I don't think we can gloss over his performance either. Still had five shots at goal. He's an absolute beast. He's very, very hard to stop on a lead. He's hard to stop when his hands are outstretched. But for Charlie, it's just he's got so many different levels to his game. It's mm. ridiculous. Yeah, and we, we spoke about it um, after the Sydney game in particular, but just the panic that he, that he brings up in defenders. Like, you, it is, it's sheer panic because they go, all right, well, I'm going to stay a metre off him so that I can I can get get to the the ball if it's in the air. But they go, oh, shit, well, if I do that and it drops short, you know, he's going to be out the back like there's no tomorrow, so I can't really afford to do that. And they sit next to him and they go, fuck, he's actually really strong, so I can't really outbody him. It's like he's he's becoming that forward that's pretty much impossible to defend. Jules, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna put something to you here. Talk to me. Lockie Plowman, for me, whipping boy no more. And he's shown that more than enough now across this season to prove that he is as reliable as and we spoke about this last week. So you can have you you have your say in a minute, but he's as reliable as anyone else in that back six or seven. On his day. Sure, he has his games where you look at him and go, Plough, what are you doing? But, hey, every player has those games. You, you, can't that, you can't say you can't say that uh, every player just goes through the season where you don't look at him and go, what the hell was that today? Every player has their day like that. Lockie Plowman, for me, is a whipping boy of this club no more. I'm sorry. Never should have been. Never should have been. And now don't ever want to hear that. He was the highest rated defender on the ground. I told you this. I told you this. The highest rated defender on the ground on the weekend. Can't be dropped. Oh, I don't see him getting dropped this week. Um, it's without a shadow of a doubt. Um, whether he should have been there over the last four or four weeks or so, that's a different story. Um, you know, and that's a different conversation. Um, but obviously, yeah, he did perform well, um, you know, he obviously played a variety of different uh, on a variety of different players as well. He didn't spend a lot of time on green, from what I saw. Um, there was actually a few boys going through him, uh, Newman and Gov especially. Um, but yeah, he did he did play well. Obviously, defensively, he's always been good. He's always been sound. It's more so just ball in hand. On the weekend, he wasn't really going for his kicks. He was going for the simple options, and that's the way he's supposed to play. He's a shutdown player. He's a medium, 
you know, tall, tall defender. Um, and he's a shutdown player and with ball in hand, he just goes through simple kicks and simple handballs and obviously handball to side and let him do the rest. And that was, that's exactly what was happening on the weekend. I think that you hit the nail on the head just there, Jules, is that I, I don't, I don't think he should ever have been a whipping boy. And I know that he has been, um, but having said that, and despite the fact that he can be a really good defender, I've always just felt that in moments, and I think I mentioned this a few weeks ago, in moments, I feel like he's one that you can rely on less than others that we have back there. And I think when you start playing big games, moments matter more than other games that, that aren't necessarily you know, of value to the season. So when, you, when you're playing finals, you can be the number one rated defender, but if it's your moment and you, you know, aren't, necessarily confident in what you can do or you, or you think, you know, you're not going to make the right decision. I feel like that means more than, than your player rating at the end of the day. Yeah. Because the moment the blind season, I think, so I think it's going to be interesting, you know, as we go towards, like, for example, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but Joe, you mentioned we only need one more game. Imagine the next three weeks, I'm just saying we lose next three weeks. Goes into the last game of the season against Collingwood. Okay, big game. All right. I don't feel confident with Plowman with ball in hand on those kinds of games where it's real pressure, um, whether he's going to hit a target or not. I don't. That's I, just I, think, I think. I think if the next three weeks don't go the way they need to go, I, I wouldn't be looking at Lockie Plowman as the issue. That's 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 my point. No, yeah, but it's all that moments in big games. That's yeah. what I'm talking about. Yeah, I, mean, look, I agree. I agree. I agree with what Reach just said. I agree with that as well. And I said last week, and I still stand by that one. Zach Williams is fit. It's Zach Williams over Lockie Plowman anyway, because he showed that he can play that one-on-one lockdown role early in the season as well. And I just think Zach Williams, as a big game player, fits that mold better than Lockie, what Lockie Plowman prob- probably does. Because we haven't seen Lockie in that situation yet. We know what we can get from Zach in his GWS but days. Again, it's more than that too. I feel like as if with Williams, for example, he offers a lot more. Especially with his run and dare, and um, obviously his one. No doubt in my mind. What you've seen, so no doubt in my mind. I'm just saying when it comes when when we're in dire straits and the injury list is what it is that we've had to deal with. I look at Lockie Plowman as someone that's reliable, plain and simple. Sure, he may not be the first picked, but for me, I, I don't. I, I, I just don't want to hear the chatter about he's not a reliable player when we've seen it week almost week in, week out for the last 12 weeks that he's been in the side or whatever it's been. 100% agree. And that's why I think it's important just to – like you can have the opinion that maybe he shouldn't be in the side, but that doesn't make him a whipping boy necessarily in this exactly conversation because right. I think we've all – I think we're all going to admit that, you know, Plowman has been probably one of the most dependable defenders of the season. But – I feel like to make the next step, you you get players like Plowman sort of in the next rung of players that you select, and guys like Williams, if fit, are in there. But like you're saying, injuries um, injuries happen, and guys like Plowman get games. So, but he has been he's been dependable for sure. Yeah, it's that time again, boys. My new favorite segment. Everyone's new favorite segment. Blues cues. Like I said, we've got a lot here, so I'm not, we're not going to be able to get to all of them, and I apologise for anyone that we don't get to, but we're going to try. We're going to try and get to as many as we can. And we're going to start. Uh, actually, it's a good one to roll off the conversation we just had, and I just want quick answers from you on this one. This is from Zach2005. In an ideal world, who are our best two to three tall backmen? Uh, let's, let's go three. Who's your three? Three? You know, I, feel I, feel like I feel like we've had this question before. 
Maybe. Well, Skip I, I think in, in, in an ideal world, Weeder and McGovern march back. Okay. Yeah, I feel like as if too, but I, I sort of take out Marchbank just because he's been away for a long. I don't know, even even McGovern, you can sort of say it as well. But ideal world, yeah, ideal world. I would say the same. Yeah, yeah. I, I would actually say the three that we saw on the weekend. I think Lewis Young's done enough to prove that he's he's ready to just be second picked in that back line as a tall defender. So it, it'd be weird as. Louis and yeah, Gov. for me, between Marshmack and Young, there's not much um, between them, to be honest. <clears throat> Fair enough. Uh, <laughs> this is a good one, actually. At Rick Palumbo, he says, if Saad doesn't make the All-Australian, do we riot? Yes or no? Yes. <laughs> At this stage, yeah. Without a doubt. To be honest, Can I we- think there's probably a good four... Five boys putting their hands up, to be honest with you. In our side. Oh, yeah. for sure. For all Australian, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. When you win when as many cool. games as what we've won and when you've got as many talented players as what we've got on our list, that's that's natural consequence of that. But can we just can we just talk about Adam Saad just for a second here, right? We're talking about, we spoke about a lot I'm of players. we didn't have a whole today. segment on him. We spoke about a lot of players on this podcast today. We're gonna, we have to speak about this bloke for at least the next two or three minutes. Reese, I'm going to let you take this one because you put it perfectly. That was the complete performance from a halfback flanker. You couldn't get a more perfect game. 100%. It was just about the perfect game. I think he went, I can't remember exactly what the number was, but he was running at about 90% efficiency off 20-odd kicks, which is pretty much perfect for someone playing off the halfback line. Um, I felt like his defensive work was pretty much flawless as well as his attacking work. Obviously, um, the specky was huge as a massive highlight, but he took a couple of those marks where he just sort of knew when to take that bite and and have a jump at the footy and managed to clunk it cleanly with both hands. Um, uh, his, his ball use is super creative as well, which asks a lot of questions of the defensive structures of teams that we're playing against because he, he's not just spotting up the 20, 30-metre kicks that, that are going sort of on the outside of the wings. He's kicking the ball laterally and kicking it there really, really quickly. So he's picking off options that you wouldn't necessarily suspect that he would. And because of that, you open up an entire new avenue of the ground, which doesn't really have the defensive um, defensive pressure that the wings might have. So I think he's just, like I said, it's pretty much the perfect game. And he's asking so many questions of so many teams at the moment. It's, it's hard to ignore him. And I think as an All-Australian selector, you'd be pretty hard-pressed to, to come up with a reason not to include him. Well, there's a there's a couple of names that float up <clears throat> for that halfback flank, uh, halfback flank in the All Australian squad in the 22. Sam Doherty's first picked, Adam Saad's second picked, and for anyone that wants to say, oh, what about Nick Dacos? Well, Adam Saad had two kick ins for his 22 kicks. Two, he had 22 kicks in 25 disposals, not 22 handballs for 30 disposals, and he didn't take, he didn't take 10 kick ins for little one two jammy ones in a back pocket either. It was streaming through the middle of the ground to set up goals. So if the All-Australian selectors, they're not going to be listening, but if, if on the off chance that they are, if you want a reason to select Adam Saad over Nick Dacos, and the fact that if Nick Dacos got picked in his first year in this competition, fine, good on him. But for me, I'm with you, Reese. It's Saad and Doc on that halfback flank, and you don't even think twice about it. Yeah, for sure. All right, 
I'm, Next just, one. I'm, just, I'm looking up stats because I, I do. I want to know. Sorry, that's why I'm probably standing a little bit distracted. I want to know what Sard's intercept possessions are like. Yeah, here we go. So he's averaging 7.4 intercept possessions yep. of 21 disposals as an average disposals compared to Nick Dacos's five off what averaging nearly 26 or seven disposals. So what does that tell you about the actual defensive work they're doing? Sard's hey. chopping stuff up and, hey. and Dacos is getting hand passes, which to his credit, he's doing really well. And if that's the role he's playing, he's, he's killing it. But as a defender... He's, he's nowhere near him. Yeah. Preaching to the choir, man. Juliet Scaff says, this is actually a question. This is just a statement, and I'll get your thoughts on, on this bloke as well. Juliet Scaff says, watching Cottrell mature has been incredible. I love his work rate and, he, and his energy across the season. Two goals on the weekend, boys. Again. Yeah. For me, he doesn't get a whole hell of a lot of it, but... Obviously, we spoke about it a couple of weeks ago. He's actually pretty clean now, so he does hit targets. And now he's hitting the scoreboard, so he's sort of adding a little bit more to his game as well. Um, I feel like as if he's all sort of almost always had it in him, um, but now obviously, you know, with the luxury of you know over the last couple of years not sort of allowing certain players to play the play the game um, and able to obviously you know practice and, and evolve in the actual VFL system. Um, you know, sort of buying them time. They're actually be able, when they do actually come in, they're actually able to have, make an impact. Yeah, for sure. I think he's he's matured. I reckon. He, like he he just seems to understand the game a little bit more than when he first started. He was he's always had the intent. He's always gone out there like an energizer bunny, and he's always tried you know to impact the contest. But now it seems like he knows when to go, when to hold, what position to get in to find himself as a sneaky chance at a shot on goal, and he's and he's doing it more consistently than when he first started. So no, I'm, I'm actually, I'm stoked for, for Cottrell and I reckon he's actually not just hanging on to his spot, but I think he's actually kind of thriving at the moment. Agree. Uh, he, he, we've said it multiple times. You can't take him out of this 22. I don't see how he comes out at all. Um, <clears throat> it's going to cause some selection headaches, man, with all these players that we didn't really pick pre-season, making the impact that they're, that they're making with the likes of Pitnet, and Williams and Marchbank and whatnot potentially being available over the next next few weeks. So it's gonna be interesting. Uh, at the old the at the old dark navy blues asks whose game from the weekend would be most underrated. Good question. I reckon Harry's a little bit. I think he had eighteen disposals and like you said, he still had five shots on goal. He's been a little bit quiet recently. You know, I feel like I haven't seen him get much kudos, but I felt like the way that he was playing on the weekend probably allowed Charlie to shine a little bit. And he, he takes a lot of heat in the contests and he breaks up a lot of packs forward of um, forward of half. But then he has the work rate to turn around and, and take the um, take those marks on the wing that he does so often as well. So I, th- I actually thought he had a really, really solid game, H. Spot yeah. on. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I was sort of, um, for me, Fisher. Um, I just feel like as if he's so silky, obviously in congestion and the way he does maneuver around and um, he's a very smart footballer as well. Um, yeah, I just feel like as if, I know he obviously didn't hit the scoreboard on the weekend, uh, but just his ability to find space and hit up targets and sort of, you know, take the pressure um, off us in certain situations is um, just second to none. So I would say Fisher. Um, yeah, but even Durden as well. On the weekend, I know he did kick the goals, sort of remarkable. Um, but just his pressure and his knack to try get into good positions, and obviously, it does sometimes doesn't fall towards him. 
Um, but yeah, even him. I want to give you one. We haven't spoken about him for a while. <clears throat> He's been spoken about pretty negatively, actually, in Carlton circles. But I thought Adam Chera had a pretty good game. 27 touches, six tackles, five clearances. I think he had four or five score involvements, um, 24 pressure acts. I just think that after uh, five inside 50s, there you go. Um, as our, what you would probably consider our third string mid, really, behind Cripps and Walsh, or maybe even fourth, once yeah, you know, cool. when in the side. That's exactly what you want from Adam Chera. I don't need any more than that from Ches. Um, yeah, for me, even he went Kennedy at, as well. So well, Kennedy as well. He had a great game, but Chera went at eighty-two percent. So you know, only four turnovers for the game. It's been criticised recently for you know maybe being in a little bit of a form slump, but came off an injury. You know, it, it takes players' time to bounce back. That's what I a think lot of people Chera has had one bad game all season. I agree. I agree, and everyone decided to pick that game as the one to. To I give think people him, understand you know, the type of player is as well. <clears throat> Agree. You know, but he's, he's not that he's not that, that Welsh type. Um, he's very clean and you know, he clean. sort of adds a bit of dimension, another dimension to our midfield, um, which we didn't have obviously in the past. Agree, Jules. Spot on. And I just thought I thought on the weekend I watched him and I, and I, I just there wasn't once where I went, That's bad by you, Ches. Like he just mm. he just made all the right decisions. He got criticised in the telecast, actually, by one of the commentators. He said he'd had 13 touches for 12 handballs at one point. And it was like, yeah, but have a look at the positions that he's getting himself in and who he's handballing to, to release a scoring chain. Well, it's not just about the stats. You can't just look at a stat sheet and go, he's handballing too much. You've got to look at how he's impacting the game with those handballs. So, mm. anyway, I just thought Ches needed a bit of love because we haven't spoken about him for a little while and, and he genuinely deserves it. Uh Last one, Anthony Villella asks, do you think we still need a backup ruck in 2023? Well, we've got one. So I'm, assuming, I'm assuming another one. So we have four on the list. So we have TDK, Pido, and Alex Murkov, yeah. And Sauce, so that's four. And Sauce. No, I think we're set. I, I mean, I think this year has been a pretty um, irregular season due to injury. It's pretty rare that you um, you get more than two ruckmen um, copying injuries, which is what we had really with Murkov and Pitto. But it goes to show that we had a depth option and up until this point of the season, they've served as well. So I think I think we're fine. Yeah, I feel like as if we're fine too. Um, in terms of key position players, I'll be looking going to the draft for a forward. I think I've mentioned it in the past, um, you know, month or so um, in relation to that. I don't see that. I don't see us going down that track. We'll just get Griffin Logan, Jules. Oh, no comment. That's all right. We'll get into that in the off-season. All right, boys, that's it for Blues Q's votes. I'll uh, I'll kick it off. They're all pretty similar this week, as you'd expect. I had uh, one for Walshy. I thought he was he was just brilliant once he came back in. Gave two to Cripper just because he impacted the scoreboard. He, he really, as he does every week, he just tried all day and, and got us going when he needed to. And uh, three, Adam Sard. Can't go past him. Mark of the year. Just did everything. Did everything. Yeah. I'll go. I'll, I'll keep this short because if you're a fan and you watch the game, you don't need any explanation for these three. So I go one to Charlie, obviously four goals, two to Walsh, phenomenal, and three to Saad, perfect game for a defender. Yeah, um, pretty similar, boys. Um, I had one, two... Crips, um, I just felt like as if he'd done, you know, obviously as an inside bid, got his job done there. Probably wasn't as efficient, um, you know, 
as you um, as he has been. Um, but obviously, Jack, the goal, probably unlucky to have another couple. I know he had, what, three or four um, shots on goal um, and just done what, what a captain does. Um, two, I gave to Walsh, just like a beast, obviously, the way he come back on, collected, what, three or four in space of a minute. Um, and just does what he does best. And then obviously Saad, yeah, like you said, Reese, man, hard to argue, to be honest with you. Um, you know, three votes there. Um, just the way on the weekend, I know he's done it in the past, but the way he was able to break lines and obviously find the target inside 50 just on just that will was um, something special um, on the weekend. Well, it makes it interesting in our best and fairest now, boys, for this year, and the Blues Brothers' best and fairest. Top five is really tight now. We've got Doherty on 36 points for the season, and then here's the top four. So 48 votes to Adam Sard in fourth. Tied on 49 in second is Walsh and Charlie, and that's with Walsh missing the first three games of the season, wasn't it? And then Paddy Cripps out in front on 54. So I don't know. I like I, I like doing this because we did it last year and I looked at our best and fairest count, our actual best and fairest count, and we were pretty bang on, boys. So if this wow. is anything to go by, it's going to be a thrilling best and fairest count come uh, come John Nichols night. So anyway, I think it will be. Always hey? Well, no, I actually reckon it will be because like, when you look at the season that's gone by, there's been different four or five-week blocks where players have dominated. Paddy Cripps obviously started the season like a house on fire and then while she's had his – Last month or so, Sardi's had you know that block in the middle where he's been dominating. So it would it'll be interesting. It is. It's going to be very interesting. As always, to finish off the review, Livy's last word. This is what I thought about the game. Um, finally, the umpires actually did some good calls on that game, so it wasn't GW. I mean, Colton versus the umpires this time. Um, Charlie Kerno got four good goals. He's in the lead of the common medalist, which I'm very happy about beating Jeremy Cameron. Harry Mackay scored this time. He got two goals. Um, Patrick Cripps did better than Sam Walsh. Patrick Cripps did amazing. I'm very happy that Patrick Cripps did very well. Sam Walsh got injured, so I think that was the probably the, the bit that makes um, Patrick Cripps better. Um, Weeders, when Weeders and Walsh went out, we weren't doing too good. First and second quarter, it was like a close game. By half time, they were willing to lead by like three points. And then we were able to just come up and I was really happy about that. We did good in our defence. We actually, we did very good in our defence. Um, Saad, always doing amazing, took a screamer mark. It was just... I was just so happy he did that. I knew he was going to do that. Um, we we get, did good in our forward. Our mid, we Sam Walsh won seven clearances. Paddy won four. And winning those clearances is very important to win the games. We definitely had a lot of... T- um, GWS definitely had a lot of turnovers, which I think that's because... That's why we did very good because GWS, they can't kick the ball. I don't know why. They just can't kick the ball right. Um, that's what I thought about the game. We definitely did very good. Weederings did good this time. Mitchell's back. And I'm happy Mitchell Garvin was back. Go to Blues! All right, boys. On to the next one. And we've got to move on quickly. And this is, I think this is our last, 
I'll put it in, in quotation marks, our last danger game for the year because the last three rounds are genuine tests. But this is a, this is a danger game. The Crows at Adelaide Oval on Saturday night, 7.30 p.m. bounce. Uh, now, last time we met was a big win at Marvel mid-season this year. And we we picked them apart, and that was that was as clinical a win as, as I think we might have even seen this year. To be fair, but this is a team that has given us headaches in recent memory, and really given me the shits at critical times of the season. Now, I don't know how you see this team, the Adelaide team. I think they've won three of their last eleven or twelve, something like that. They're they're not in form at all, but. Especially in Adelaide, I don't think they're a team that we can underestimate, boys. No, I, I think they're a lot better than when we last played them as well. I, I don't think they had Taylor Walker playing for them when we met them earlier in the season. I don't think. Is that right? No, I think he did. I think. Oh, did he really? Yeah. Oh, I think there you go. Did. That throws out my theory. <laughs> <laughs> I, no, I, I, I yeah, do agree with you. I, I think that at home they're a different team, and they showed on the weekend, even in Sydney, that you know they're pretty competitive in patches, and you can't take. You can't take that for granted. So it's a pretty nerve-wracking game, even though I'm feeling confident about it. I'm still pretty nervous about the end result. Yeah, I'm similar to you, Reese. I know I think we didn't mention at the start of the pod. Um, yeah, I just feel like as if they're one team over the next month that, you know, these are little games that we should win, but whether we do whether we do, um, is another story. So, you know, I think they still have some players that can, you know, sort of do damage, especially in the middle of the ground, um, for the likes of Laird and Keys and um, and, and the like. Um, and then up forward, if Tex does fire up and, um, you know, a few of the other players down there, um, you know, it might be a little bit interesting um, this Saturday night. Yeah, I think Rory Laird is in genuine All-Australian form. We had 38 on the weekend, had 11 clearances, 848 metres gained. Like, he just does everything for him. And 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 that's probably the critique on the Crows is that Laird is the one that leads them every week and he's really the only one that they can look to. But I look at guys like Sam Berry. I think he's a, he's a, a genuine talent in and under and he's a contested animal. Had 14 tackles on the weekend. Ben Keyes had 12 tackles. And I just think that this is a team that if they're going to give us a run, it's going to be out of the middle. That's where we've been exposed for the last month or, or six weeks or whatever you want to call it. And if we let them in early in front of their home crowd, it, we might be chasing tail all day. And that's not what we want to run into. I don't think we can underestimate their contested game and their, their inside midfield brigade uh, and what they've shown that they can do. Riley O'Brien, big bodied ruck, um, which probably leads us into what the ins and outs are. Uh, and the first one, Pitnet comes straight in. You have to this week. You just yeah. have to against O'Brien. I did think it was kind of odd that he didn't come in um, for the last game against GWS. I thought that was a bit of a strange decision. I don't think it was necessarily a bad decision, but I just found it curious. He has to play. It, like For the sake of continuity, I think he's got on enough minutes in now and he's shown that he's clearly a level above VFL, so there's nothing to be gained to him, you know, sitting around and, and getting his 10 clearances a game in the twos. There's nothing to be gained from that at this point. He just has to come in. Yeah, for me as well, I think he does come in. The the only, obviously, we're going to have get, have a little bit of a chat around about who who does he come in for, boys, because, um, you know, there's not a lot of players that aren't doing, you know, not much, you know what I mean, at yeah. the moment. We, I mean, we spoke about this yesterday, and I, 
I sort of floated, not the idea, but I could I could see it happening. I could probably understand the justification if you gave TDK a week off, um, not necessarily dropping him due to performance or anything like that. I think he's been really solid, obviously, but um, just from a player management perspective, he's worn a hell of a lot of um, knock, knocking around and all that sort of stuff being the you know, the solo Ruckman for the better part of the season. I think if anyone's earned to rest, it's him. And yeah. I wouldn't – I, I, I would be surprised be if it happened, but I wouldn't be annoyed or upset if it happened. Yeah. I, yeah, I don't know. I think it's a good take. Um, but then obviously you have it in mind, you know, we've only got four rounds to go. Do yeah, you exactly. really want to change too much that you think that you're going to be going into, you know, the final series with, with the two Rucks? Yeah, I mean, and that, and that's the thing. Like, they haven't played together for 16 weeks now mm-hmm. or whatever it is, right? So they do need to find form together and find that one-two punch together as as a, a duo ruck combo for four weeks leading into finals. I, I'm a bit on the fence with it. I can see your point, Reese, and I actually I actually think that if anyone needs a rest, it's probably JSOS out of the two. Like, yeah. if you think about the workload of Jack all season being that second ruck and throwing his body into contests and just really – putting his body on the line every week and then having to go forward and play that high half forward role. Like that is, that's as high intensity as any player on our list across the season. Yeah. I don't think it's TDK that, that would, that would probably get the rest. I reckon, I reckon Silvani, if anyone probably deserves the rest out of the two, but yeah. I, I, with that said, I, I'm, I think I'm still with Jules. I think you just got to play more. And you've I don't got, think you've got any, to play more I don't think any player, play. I don't think any player gets a rest. Yeah. The way I so see it, it is if you're fit. Sorry. Who comes out then? So we'll say because I, I agree I with you guys. Well, I think you play all four of them, and if that means you rotate through the bench or whatever, you got to make that work because all four of them belong inside. Yeah. But it's just yeah. Who, who do you? Yeah. Who do you play I think. And, well, just keep this in mind as well. George Hewitt to come back as well. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, to me, it's gonna be difficult, but I think Honey would go out. Um, and then I reckon another player will go out and possibly be the sub and then Hewitt will come back in. Um, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if the likes of maybe out of the three wingers. I know I did mention earlier on where, you know, I wouldn't drop any of them, but I wouldn't be surprised if Loeb does go to the sub. Um, yeah, and then Hewitt does come in as well and Honey goes out for Pito. I But uh, anything can happen. I think I'm with you there, Jules. I reckon... I mean, O'Brien, he had he, he started a decent game. He had 19 disposals, went at 78%, two goal assists, four score involvements overall. But yeah, if if you had you can't drop both Motlop and Honey. You need to have two small forwards, one one of them paired with Durden. I think Honey, he's had his time um to find his feet. To be fair, he had a decent game, but I'd rather see Motlop go again. Um, out of the two, and then yeah, Nunes comes out of the side as that medi sub, and probably O'Brien um, fits into that that sub vest this week to get Hewitt and Pitnet in. I don't know. I just feel like that's a better balance. Whether or not O'Brien is hard done by, call it what you want. Yeah. Centerfield and Cottrell were the two better wingers on the day, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah that's the way I see it. That's, that's easy it. selection. <laughs> that's it. Unless always is fit. If always is fit, I think he comes in for Motlop. Yeah. Yeah. I, the only thing with always, I don't know if he's going to be able to – like he's been missing for like, what, six, seven weeks now after a, after a tight calf. So well, I don't know. Know. I think, I think we'll this, that, was week, that was week four. This will be week five or something. Okay. Which mm. is bizarre, isn't it? Like that's a long – I don't know what they've – diagnosed. is it just diagnosed as a 
calf tightness issue or what's yeah and it's week by week like it's not even a it's literally just day by day that we find out after so actually, do you know if the diagnosis actually changed or not i'll check no, it being a, i mean from being no. a tight calf to a strain or the carlton injury list is cryptic at best anyway so <laughs> we've yeah. kept our card close to our chest this year with the injury list it's true it's very true um I don't think we tell the truth at the best of times. Yeah, fair. But you said, you said, there you go. So we don't know. We actually don't know. If he comes in, he comes in for Motlop. I think that's that's fair. If not, like we said, I think it's Hewitt and Pitto in for Honey and O'Brien, who becomes a medical sub. And that, that's how you play it. That's it. I think we need big bodies against the Crows to just beat them, like just beat them up at the contest. Just absolutely beat them up. And we should get the job done, bring the intensity from the outset, and we should be okay, boys. To finish off, predictions. Uh, I, I mean, I, I see it playing out fairly similarly to the Giants and Eagles games. I reckon we'll probably get up by 42. 42? Yeah. I reckon we bolt them this week, boys, and give them 60. I'm not yeah. as confident. I think I think they're yeah. gonna they're gonna give us a. I think they're gonna give give us a bit of a scare. To be honest, we'll, we'll win, but we'll get across the line by about four goals, three or four goals. That's what I'm feeling. Yeah, I just think obviously they know they got no no hope now, and I reckon yeah, this is the week. I reckon they've been hanging on for the last you know month or so. So oh, yeah, I reckon I'd, this is the week where someone belts them, and I think it's you know fortunately enough, it's possibly gonna be us. Yeah, I look, I mean. You say they got nothing to play for, but and they got absolutely outclassed by Sydney, especially in the first half uh, over the weekend. But in front of your home crowd, late in the season, when you're coming up against a side that's got everything to play for, I reckon as a as a sports person that's competitive, Jules, if you're anyone that's pulling on an Adelaide Crows jersey, they're out for blood to make sure that we make it that, that they make it hard for us. Because if you're looking at a team like Carlton that's on the up, and you haven't been able to break that yet as a as a Crows player. You're going. You're not playing finals unless we make it hard for you, boys. That's that, and that's that's the mentality I'd have. Plain and simple. A hundred percent. But I reckon you know there's a time when you know if you haven't get the job done over a number of weeks, um, you know there's unfortunately there's one week where you sort of break down, okay, yeah. and mentally, um, there is one week. I'm not saying that it will happen over the course of the, you know the next three rounds for them, but I think there might be a week in the next four four rounds where they do get a bit of a pumping. And fortunately, I think, hopefully, um, it's us. I hope you're right. I hope you're right, man. And I hope it's a stress-free game watching the footy on Saturday night with a yeah. beer in hand. Just nice and calm. Go to bed and just sleep like a baby. I just And low blood pressure. I just want low blood pressure for the we rest of the life, just for the next week or so. Because I know the heart rate, the, the blood pressure is going to rise very quickly after this week. Very, very quickly. Yeah. Boys... It's been a pleasure. Another episode down. Another week down. There's four weeks to go. 2022. Oh, let's just get this done this week, man, so we can just breathe. Just breathe. That's it, boys. All right. Up the baggers. Up the baggers. baggers.